wouldn't be Monday if we didn't have our mingle. And Laura is back. Uh, we've seen today, Laura, six, six former PMs signing a letter condemning the October 7 attacks by Hamas and uh, religious hatred and calling for humanitarian supplies to be allowed into Gaza. Paul Keating didn't sign. He didn't, Philip. And uh, he released a statement over the weekend saying that um, he wouldn't be, you know, that there'd been a story that suggested that he would be signing it and he put out a statement saying that he wouldn't be um, and he made it clear in that 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 essentially he'd been asked to sign a statement that had been uh, drafted by the Zionist Federation, uh, which he uh, portrayed as condemning the attack by Hamas on Israel um, and sort of said that he wouldn't be agreeing to do that. Now, I think... The implication is quite clear that he wasn't going to be signing somebody else's, you know, draft of a statement, uh, because um, you know the, the the rest of the statement, while it is condemning Hamas, um, it does talk about the implications of um, of the attack uh, of October seven as being one that essentially went on to uh, lead to it talks about that uh, about anti-semitism but he also but it also talks about um, the impact on um, the Australian Palestinian community uh, but essentially frames um, the what has happened in Gaza as being a result of Hamas's actions and sort of essentially says the Hamas uh, terrorists essentially sought to provoke Israel into what's happened in Gaza so um, I think it's it's interesting that by not signing it, he's made it more of an issue, if you like, than it would be otherwise. But uh, well, that's that's very Paul, isn't it? And so, we, yes, from John Howard, Kevin Rudd, Julia Gitter, Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull, even Scott Morrison. Okay, now today, Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong has. Uh, also urged Israel to listen to the calls to protect civilians. And uh, mm. we're starting to see perhaps a different tone emerge from uh, government members. Uh, well, I think we are. I mean, I suppose uh, it's it's of a piece in a way, Philip, um, that uh, you've got um, this distinction that's happened. I mean, there's two things that are happening. One of them is that um, the day-to-day -day story is changing. Obviously, at the beginning of this confrontation, the horror was on what had happened in Israel, these really absolutely appalling and atrocious uh, actions by Hamas and possibly others against Israelis um, in, in incursions into Israel. But now we're just having this uh, uh, increasing, increasingly terrible story about uh, civilians in uh Gaza, uh, you know, you know, there's always disputes about how many people are killed, but without a doubt, um, the, sort of the non-government agencies are sort of confirming that there's huge numbers of people and huge numbers of children being killed in this. Um, these estimates of, uh, you know, maybe half the, um, the the residential accommodation in parts of Gaza being knocked out, and so the the focus obviously changes there, but. At a political level, it's gone from being about just uh, condemnation of Hamas to, as you sort of suggest, um, an increasing number of government MPs 
expressing their concern about this, uh, about what's happening in, um, to the Palestinians. It started with Ed Husik and Ann Ali. Uh, it escalated with Tony Burke using much stronger la- language, I think, on Friday. And then we've seen in amongst that um, Penny Wong's statements increasingly becoming more uh, assertive, shall we say, in urging Israel to, uh, you know, be, can restrain itself and to let let uh, humanitarian aid through and to be careful about how it was actually seeking to respond to the, the threat of Hamas. Um, so it's a really interesting uh, development, a really interesting change in language and in position for Australia because... Well, talking about position for Australia, mm. Wong was of talk course, talking about the UN General Assembly vote, 120 countries, including France and New Zealand, voted for an immediate humanitarian truce. Mm. But we were one of 45 countries, including the UK, Germany, India and Canada, that abstained. Why? Well, once again, Philip, it's this thing that we we want we won't we won't just talk about one side. We want to talk about the other. Um, our representative at the UN was saying, uh, "Well, you know, we have to talk about um, uh, both sides here." Um, that um, James Larson, who's our representative at the UN, was saying uh, that uh, we abstained um, with disappointment because it failed to recognise Hamas as the perpetrator of the October seven attack. So. Um, Australia is not prepared to condemn what's happening um, in uh, Gaza or express sympathy with Gaza without always acknowledging what's happened uh, in Israel. And so as a result, the government's under attack from the left and the right, if you like. Um, the Greens are attacking it for, not, uh, abs- uh, for abstaining from uh, this resolution, whereas the, the coalition under Peter Dutton has been pretty steadfast from the beginning in really only focusing on what has happened to Israel from Hamas and talking about terrorists. Now, Albo's just returned from his uh, US visit where he's, uh, well, been talking about shared values and I quote, of freedom, peace and equality. What do you think of his choice of words given the situation? Uh, Well, um, it's always interesting to watch Prime Minister's go to Washington and get the treatment, isn't it? Um, um, Look, I think it's interesting because uh, I think the Prime Minister was in this interesting uh, sort of triangulation of uh, uh, in terms of his language where, on the one hand, he's in Washington where at a time when the democracy isn't quite functioning, let's be perfectly frank, there wasn't a Speaker of the House uh, in Congress and when there was one elected, it was someone who'd been very supportive of uh, Donald Trump's position in sort of suggesting that uh, that there hadn't been a valid election result. So he's talking about democracy and freedom and all those things in in a place where, when you take the um, the shine off Washington, things are all pretty unstable. Uh, he's there because, uh, well, he's not there because, but he's there at a time when he's about to head to China, when he's trying to re-establish relationships with China, but is doing everything possible to send messages to the rest of the world that we are in thick with uh, America on a whole range of fronts uh, because we can't talk about uh, the submarines because they're held up in the Congress, which isn't functioning. He's talking about a range of other agreements which are all about making Australia and the US less reliant on China. Uh, And at the same time, we've got all of this uh, backdrop of the horrors in the Middle East uh, to contend with as well. 
As you know, I've got a long-term concern about uh, the plight of Julian Assange. And uh, in our last chat, I hoped that uh, that Joe might that uh, that Biden might be confronted on the Assange issue by the PM. And apparently, he did raise it at last. Yes, he did say he'd raised it. Um, he says that he has raised it on previous occasions, but essentially, he's saying, "Look, it's not up to the president." to decide these things because there is a division between the executive and the judiciary. Um, but he, at the same time, he's saying, well, um, you know, our diplomats are looking for uh, are working towards a pardon um, for Assange or some sort of plea deal at least, you know, at with lower, lower, at lower levels than the president. So I'm not quite sure how that works if it doesn't work at the presidential level that you, you, you lobby, but certainly um, he did raise it and he said he has raised it before but and, and that his language on this hasn't changed. But obviously on a state visit when there's so much focus on what they're talking about, that's the, the highest elevation you've we've seen yet of the Assange issue. You will remember very early on in his prime ministership he warned us against what he called trumpet diplomacy. Now, off to China, as you say. How has he... How has he been navigating the optics around our strong alliance with the US and Australia's desire not to risk China trade? Well, it's interesting, Philip. I mean, if you think about it, the Chinese have um, backed down on a range of issues, um, the trade issues like barley and wine. Um, they, uh, we've seen the uh, release of Chung Lai, um, the Australian journalist, um, so there seems to be the, the ambition of the government is essentially one of stabilising the relationship um, and rather than sort of necessarily improving it any further, shall we say. So um, he goes to China next week having really, you know, once once again linked, linked us in in all sorts of possible ways that he could think of to the Americans. Um, but I think this will be one of the really interesting questions to ponder uh, ahead of his trip and during his trip, the extent to which, you know, what's going on in China has changed the dynamics one way or t'other. Um, you know, obviously they've got a lot of uh, internal economic uh, issues going on. Um, that's not to say that that's necessarily going to soften their position on things, but um, the Chinese have obviously decided that, you know, they've, they've made their point with Australia and it's time probably for them to stabilise, in inverted commas, the relationship. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Laura, we've talked about our blast from the past Prime Ministers signing that uh, joint declaration. We've also got a blast from the past Foreign Minister in Downer weighing in on the submarine issue. Can you talk to that briefly before I let you go? Oh, yes. Uh, Alexander Downer's uh, basically sort of said that AUKUS is a really silly idea or at least the idea of... Uh, submarines being built in Adelaide was never going to happen and uh, and was all a bit of a joke. I, I, I could be wrong. I don't remember him saying that at the time, Philip, but that was when Scott Morrison announced it. Maybe it's just... You a, didn't get the memo, Laura. <laughs> or he's, he's forgotten the memo, one or the other. Yeah, OK. Well, how extraordinary that he weighs in at this point. Look, thanks for that. Laura Tingle, of course, Chief Political Correspondent, 7.30, and she'll be back with me in a week's time. And uh, coming up, well, we've just been speaking about Alexander, who happens to be Chair of Trustees of a think tank called Policy Exchange. 
But who are these mysterious think tanks? And very importantly, who funds them? You're about to find out. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN. <laughs> 